Welcome everybody, hello, this is Chasing Encounters episode number three. Today we have a special guest because he's a special friend of mine here in Toronto, Canada. He has been supporting me in all ways uh, here in the, at the university and also personally, so that's something that I appreciate. We have um, Pushpa, hello. Uh, hi, Yasid. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I know. Same. You have been a great friend and a great mentor and support for me personally as well as professionally. So that's been great. So thank you for this opportunity. So I'll start off by saying uh, my name is Pushpa Hamal. I'm originally from Nepal. And yeah, that's about it. Let's. Uh, Something that I wanted, always wanted to ask, and I probably asked you a while ago, but I probably, I forgot. And is your name Pushpa, mm -hmm. and then your last name Hamal? Can you can you tell us a little bit about where he's coming from, or if does he have a meaning? Yeah, it does actually. It's uh, that's a good question. I mean, so my first name comes; it originates from Sanskrit, uh, which means flower. And yeah, my last name is a family name. That's basically it. So i'm pretty sure you are aware about the caste system that exists in india nepal like you know south asia basically i think i am aware of course because we have had many conversations but actually that's my second question related to your culture mm -hmm. and your family and your community your country etc so tell us a little bit about nepal and this caste system yeah okay so actually going back to my last name it signifies that i belong to somehow upper caste um, in, in Nepal because we have specific four different castes and there are like you know 36 sub castes and even more uh, and caste system is kind of has been there historically but things are changing a little bit um, that actually leads me to explain a little bit is it actually almost makes me feel uh, disappointed with this uh, you know um, culture that we have because it discriminates people based on their caste which caste they belong to right we have caste that are lower caste considered lower caste and you would not believe actually still in some rural part of Nepal people do not touch or eat the food or drink water touched by certain caste uh, families, people. Um, so that is kind of like, I don't know, a sad story, but that is true. So what caste do you belong to, Pushpa? Um, I belong to, it's called Chetri. So it's, it's pretty much, you know, we have hierarchy like Brahmins are the top caste, considered as top caste. And I'm sure that's uh, pretty much uh, similar in India as well. Um, so I belong to Chetri, which is like, you know, um, hierarchized, like second in the hierarchy, I guess. So and then there are like, I think the caste system was about so priests, these people who got opportunity, like from the higher caste, were basically either teachers, priests, and then there were like the fighters and warriors and rulers belong to the next caste and then traders, business people, and then the uh, labor, which is kind of basically like, you know, I don't know uh, how that works, but uh, there are like farmers who are, who are basically 
uh, considered as untouchables as well. So that belongs to the lowest caste. So I belong to the second, like, you know, from the top, I guess. Right. Uh, you know, I've always been interested in education, teaching, learning, all of those sorts of things. You were mentioning about the teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, could you explain a little bit about the teachers in your experience? Mm -hmm. are, are they usually male teachers or female teachers? And what has been your experience with them? Uh, okay. Well, what about I start from my childhood, actually, encounters with actually my education and all of that is so to my parents so my father went to school because he was a man and from a pretty rich family in my community women were you know it's a usual story but that was very recent as well my mom never went to a formal schooling but she her brother was a teacher wow. so she learned how to read and write and yeah and then that that's And then in, in my village, there were very few schools at the beginning, but in 90s, there was a time, there was like almost like a boom in establishing, establishing educational institutions, right. which means schools in like in all these villages. We had almost one school for one small village, which is great actually. And then my, my mom used to actually be a school like chair Um, and teachers were like we had divided. I think mostly science and maths were taught by men, right. and rest were women. That's how it used to work. Uh, but then, who were these teachers? Is actually a very good question. Is because they got this educational exposure, and it was almost most of them were men. Uh, and from higher caste, that's how it works. Even if it was female, they would be from higher caste. So that's th th that was basically the professional like teaching uh, or teachers um, were basically in from that line. Right. I, I'm so interested always in cultures, languages, all those sorts of things. And I understand that you are from Nepal, obviously. But I want to know a little bit more about what you were born, your little community or right. your little town. I don't know how this is divided by departments or provinces. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about that. So I'm actually from northwest of Nepal. It's basically beyond the, well, we're from the mountains, but I kind of was born and raised in the, like a basin of those mountains. So I have a small community, like we have, you know, several villages around me, and those villages are actually based on, actually, this still fascinates me, or um, our villages are located based on caste. Wow. Our communities are divided based on our caste. It's like a very, like a structural, functional uh, explanation of establishing these different villages or communities. So there is a village that is Uh, only for people from lower caste, and then some of the people from lower, lower, lower strata from the upper caste, they kind of shared the village. And the explanation is be because, you know, all the people from lower caste who will be working for upper caste people. They live in one place and there is a community of upper caste. So in my village, there are specific like two to 
I think two specific big categories. We have two different communities. Like it's one, but then it's based on their last names, like almost like a family of two, right? What are those last names? One is uh, one is Mal. Uh, one is actually Takuri. They call it. It's within Chatri as well, and then and then the other one is Brahmin. So Brahmin and yeah Chatri. So we have like two specific. Uh, caste groups in one village except one family and that one family actually was brought to our village to clean and take care of the temple like uh, you know in our village because you know Brahmins were not are the priests they were, they're not going to clean it and Chetri is like my family we would not clean it I think it's like uh, it, it, that's the structure of functional like kind of explanation of that that right. family uh -huh. like one family doesn't belong to the same caste group hmm. but then he he's not from which is interesting what makes it interesting is that person actually belongs to not to the lower caste group so because people from lower caste can't even enter the temple they can't you know forget about cleaning why, why yeah, not? Why yeah not? they're the, not allowed. the lower caste cannot go into the temple absolutely not why what it, is the reason this quote unquote untouchable people are not allowed to go into the temple mm. yeah this is this is very interesting mm -hmm. I, I you got me curious about the caste and the villages yeah. i wonder if the higher caste live at the top of the mountain and then the lower caste live at the bottom of the mountain is this true or not oh uh, not not really okay. yeah that's a, like a not in that way uh, we share different geographic locations but going back to the caste system actually about this quote unquote actually i should be very careful about that because untouchable is a category that was constructed right right um and then so quote unquote untouchables um were not allowed to touch the food although they do the plowing and they grow help help you know farm everything but then you can't eat together and you can't go to temples and you know you are not allowed to come into the houses of people but now things are changing slowly but to be honest still those things exist in the corner like you know rural parts of nepal and even in Kathmandu city and some of the families, it depends based on the families and culture, right? right? Religion right. as well. So it's kind of like that's what that that's um, that it changing. It still exists, actually. So what is the religion or the religions that are practiced in Nepal? Uh, in Nepal, in, in general, all the religions, I think, like Hindu, Muslim, uh, Christianity and uh, Buddhism. Right, uh, Buddhism and Hindu were predominant uh, before, and you know mo we do have a significant Muslim community that was almost like it was almost like kept away from you know teaching these kids. I I didn't even know as a kid I didn't even know there was this religion called Muslim in Nepal, right? right. But but they existed since long history of yeah long history, and then. Um, there is a significant like a Christianity, like Christian population is growing now because it's it's basically it's not the religion from Nepal. It's you know all these missions went to Nepal and converted people, right. and that interesting transition of this um, uh, choice of religion or conversion 
happened is when the missionaries from the Western world went to my communities or in Nepal, they chose actually people who are from the lower caste people. Lower caste. Because they're kind of like, it's it's almost like this weak spot of the community was that, you know, like people like me who are from upper caste were very oppressive on lower caste people. And then these people who were Christians and Western, they kind of like, you know, they were, it was almost like hitting on the weaker spot, right? They went there and they kind of almost like took advantage of the oppression that exists within the community. And they, it was very easy for them to convert the lower caste people, I think. So, I mean, I'm not saying all the lower caste people are Christians, but majority of the population in Christian religion, if you actually look at it closely, what I, from my experience, what I guess is there are lots of people from lower caste who converted to Christianity, yeah. Well, very interesting conversation about culture and religious practices in Nepal. I didn't know about these things, and I'm. it's interesting for, for me and also for the audience to know these things from experience from a person who actually was born and raised in Nepal. I like that. I love this conversation where it's going. I also, moving... Uh, of shifting gears uh, uh, a little bit to one of the things that fascinates me the most is language. Mm -hmm. So um, let's move on into talking about language and languages. What are the languages that you speak? And maybe provide a few examples of when you speak these languages, in which moments or spaces do you use them? Interesting, okay. So I'll tell you from what I knew, I think from 2003 or four, that's when I kind of like looked into the linguists, like, you know, what languages exist in Nepal at that time. Like I have not updated myself, but there were, there are more than 69 different languages, I guess. Um, different languages spoken in Nepal, actually. So, uh, so and you know, for as for me, uh, my language is called Khas. Nepali is my second language, actually. So Khas is your first language. Yeah. Nepali is your second language. Second language. And okay. English basically is my, like, not even like English. So Hindi is kind of like, you know, I know how, like I can speak and understand Hindi. I can write Hindi as well. Right. And I can read Hindi, which makes me like, you know, I'm like, kind of like, you know, I... I know how to speak Hindi as well, so so my first language is Khas, second is Nepali, and then Hindi, and then English. That's how I would like to put it. But then I learned how to read and write Nepali and English at the same time when I was like 11 years old. Where did you learn these two? School? Um, yes, school. I was in a village, in my village, I went to a primary school there, but then I got this opportunity to go to Kathmandu in a boarding school that was established by the British. Um, so I learned, so I had to learn English and Nepali there, so in that school. I had no choice at the, it's so funny actually, I never, I have not shared this story with a lot of friends who went to that school. I used to get bullied for, because I had a bad accent in, mm. um, in Nepali, actually, because, you know, my language is Khas. It's slightly, slightly different. We share words, but, you know, it's completely different dialect. So it's, you know, I was actually bullied. I remember still. That's why I kind of learned. 
it was quite a bit of extra effort to learn how to actually speak Nepali for me. It took, a, it, it took years. And then now I can speak uh, very fluent and clear Nepali without any accent. But still, if, if somebody from uh, Eastern Nepal will hear my accent in Nepali, they can tell where I am from. Actually. They will make fun of you, I guess. Well, not not right now. I mean, when I was small, but yeah, I did. I had that experience. That's that's very uh, interesting. And then I was very, very quiet because I did not know how to speak English in Nepali. Like I had to speak English at my school, um, but I didn't know. So I had a choice to remain silent, I guess. So I was very quiet quiet kid at the beginning of my school years hmm. Mm -hmm. so so I wonder you, you know you speak Kaz Nepali Hindi and English mm -hmm. so when or at what moments or spaces you use Kaz exclusively oh Kaz yeah that's a good question yeah I was thinking about that actually so the only moment I speak Kaz is when I call my dad and call my sister so they can speak English and Nepali as well. Not my dad, but my sisters speak Nepali, Hindi, Kos and Nepal, like, you know, English as well. But then, you know, I, we communicate mostly in Nepali and Kos. Um, so that's kind of, that's only moment when I use Kos, actually, when I call my sisters and my dad. How about, how about Nepali? When, no. when do you use Nepali? Um, Nepali is when I actually meet Nepalese here uh, in Toronto. We have... Uh, actually big community in, in Toronto I um, and I have some friends who go to university you know one Ramesh mm -hmm. right yes. um, and I speak yeah I use Nepali when I see people from the community from who are from Nepal actually mm -hmm. so that's the only moment when you use Nepali just when you are here in Toronto with other Nepali people from the Nepali community or when I'm back home and um, I speak Nepali when I'm in Kathmandu but when I'm when I'm in Mugu, I try to like you. I miss my language, like use of using cost language. Uh, so I actually use a lot of cost language when I go back home. Now, you know, uh, it's been so long that I I'm away from home, right. and when I go back and speak cost language, and people, you know, people don't expect me to speak cost because things are changing now. People have stopped kind of speaking their own language you know slowly the transition is from cost to nepali now people have started using nepali and then as usual yeah uh, no, use you, of english as well you made me think like why why do you think people have stopped using cas on nepali in nepal yeah, I think it's to do with uh, the, it was almost like English was almost enforced on any, like, you know, in most of the developing countries or even uh, communities that were not English speakers as there's some superior language that created these new opportunities and exposures, which I kind of do not disagree. It allowed us to kind of get out of our community and learn different things but what i disagree is still how it is kind of celebrated celebrated as the superior language over other languages so it's it's i think so it was almost like a fashion when we when i was small we had nepal all these um, government schools 
we were taught in Nepali. Uh, cost wasn't used in English. Uh, I mean, cost wasn't used in education for as, as a teaching and learning um, medium. Actually, it was Nepali. So that's what you have to also. I, I think I'm not quite expert in that area, but if you look at a language history of Nepal, it's basically we have more than 69 or 70 or even more languages, but the medium of teaching and learning was the official language. Nepali was made an official language after yeah. the unification of there was a like you know Nepal was a, made out of like different communities, but then there was this some leader like king who unified apparently why well, i call it occupy occupying but <laughs> but uh, you know a lot of um people who are more uh, nationalists and they might call it unification or uh, we were i was taught as you know i was right. taught the history it was an unification when they unified the country and then nepali was made in uh, as an official language yeah yeah, now as you were speaking, um, it reminded me also the importance of English, at least for Colombians, for people in Colombia or Latin America. And uh, we believe that that English equals being successful, right? Yep. And mm -hmm. that's why I learned English as well, and I became an English teacher. Okay. And I live in the United States, and now I live in Canada, and use English... 90% of the time in my life. So how about English in your life? When do you use English mm -hmm. and when not, for example? Well, yeah, now English is my everyday language, I guess. I mean, you know, unfortunately, I don't know how to speak Spanish. Otherwise, I would love to use Spanish when I hang out with you. But I unfortunately, can teach you. I, can I teach know, you some words. I know. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I mean, it has become it's uh, my everyday language. I use English pretty much every day, every time, everywhere, with everybody. You know, I have a, I have a you know growing daughter who speaks English in Nepali, but she prefers English because she technically spends more time with her friends than us, right? So now she has also actually forgot a lot of Nepali. It's a problem. <laughs> I see. I see. It's becoming a problem, and a lot of people out there, especially parents, are, are worried or concerned about their children not speaking their home languages. Yeah, yeah. And I believe there has to be some kind of strategies to yep. revitalize their home languages or use their languages. Do you have any strategy or any moment that you speak uh, either Kaz or, or Nepali with your daughter? Yeah, now, uh, Kaz is my language and my ex-partner, like my uh, child and my ex-partner, they don't know cuss language. Oh. I couldn't teach it. Technically, um, when I moved to Canada, my daughter used to speak Nepali, and then but then she slowly moved to English, and then she almost like forgot Nepali. Mm -hmm. And then since the last two years, I've started teaching her the alphabets again. And then, you know, when me and my, like, my ex-partner, we kind of like, you know, we use Nepali as much as we can to communicate with her. And the, 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 the challenge is that we communicate, we tell her something in Nepali, she will understand, but then she will reply it in, in, in English. But now, slowly, we have started writing. And, you know, I read her some Nepali stories. I have Nepali textbooks and stuff. 
So that's how I kind of find, you know, I don't have specific uh, strategies, but what hap- what I have seen even in my daughter when she was small, she forgot almost Nepali. And then, and then now slowly she is actually getting interested in it because she has started listening to music, like Nepali music. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We, we kind of like, she, she loves Nepali music and... Uh, yeah, that's that's. Uh, I don't have specific strategies, but I think it changes with their age as well. But I mean, yeah. right, right. No, I'm just I'm just thinking that I know this case of um, this uh, artist from Peru who she she sings in Quechua actually, you know, which is an indigenous language in the Andes, especially in Peru and Bolivia. Mm-hmm. But she has become such a great well-known artist why mm-hmm. because she speaks pop music and modern music in quechua so a lot of children now look oh, up to her right, right right so i wonder if there is a way you can engage your daughter yeah with nepali artists like using either cat or nepali yeah. using modern modern music is there a way uh, well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing, although, uh, although I don't like the type of music that is out there, even in Nepali, like uh, pop, pop music, um, but you know, she, she likes it, it's, it's kind of like a groovy, like, you know, like kind of uh, the music that kind of catches people's mind quickly, I think, so she has started, and then, you know, I, I, I sometimes, I, I, I actually sing in Nepali with her and now she knows some of the words and she can actually sing with me so sometimes we sing it together and the purpose actually is to teach her Nepali nice. now when I do that because I think it's important you know it's not that like you know I have to teach her how to read and write you know with these specific strategies of using pen and paper or something board you know it's a one another way I think um, is to make them interested in the language actually is also like with the use of this art and media actually i show so yeah she 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 recently has been very interested in singing and when she dances she wants to use the nepali songs nice this is this is great this is a good start and i think this is a good example of on how parents can engage their children mm-hmm. to use their home language yeah. when you engage them with music, with art, singing, mm-hmm. maybe dancing, yeah. maybe playing a musical instrument as well, right? Like it helps. Yes. Yeah, it and does. I understand you play some musical instruments as well. Yeah, I play flute. Um, when my daughter has started learning um, how to play flute as well with me, right? And flute is kind of part of, like you know, our, you know, uh, music. It's it's right. fundamental, like a core part of like a Nepali folk music. Yes. So I've I've started playing that. When you know, I started learning on uh, over actually YouTube, and my daughter was like, you know, what is this? And it's a flute, right? It looks quite different from other flute. It's like a you know indian bamboo flute right so it's slightly different than others and then um so she she actually plays a little bit now i mean she don't know how to play but she's trying and also i have like some nepali drums as well and she, she yeah yeah so we we play sometimes but i'm not that great 
uh, at either, but I play a little bit of flute. So, yeah. I love these conversations. I love having you on board and this podcast today. Mm-hmm. We today have learned a little bit of what Nepal is. Pushpa, thank you so much uh, for coming today to our podcast. You have a wonderful rest of the week. Well, thank you. Thank you, SCD. You were welcome. And uh, it was uh, nice talking to you live for this podcast, actually. We had a great conversation offline anyway.